Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing this week, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. We are, we are seriously in the off season now. And, and how do you feel about that? How are you doing? <laughs> I feel like the ball stuck in the ledge of the bunker on 16 on Sunday that Victor Hovland hit. That's how I feel. <laughs> There's like nothing happening. I mean, and I know softball and baseball are, are rolling into the postseason. I mean, softball's in the supers, so you can't say nothing's happening, but I mean, the portal is slow football. There's nothing really going on. So it is the, it is the dead and, of off season. And even the roundup, you know, we, we'll get to it, but men's golf is out. Women's golf is out. Tennis is out. So there's still sports going on, but Oklahoma State is not competing in much except for baseball and softball, which we will definitely hit in way more detail in this episode. But in a couple of weeks, there's not going to be any sports going on, and we'll be diving into football previews, schedule well, preview. We can just talk about like your Florida Panthers, you know, possibly making a <laughs> Stanley Cup run, or we could talk about the Royals being historically awful. We could do all that. I mean, or we could switch the roundup format into like an apparel. You know, we could talk about all the new OSU stuff that's going out. I, I don't know. We could. We're gonna have to get we clever. Is my point. Yeah, and any ideas? We'll take any ideas as well. But <laughs> hey, there's really speaking of football, you brought it up. There's really no football current team news we've got one nfl note we wanted to hit and then we were going to get into recruiting but nfl wise you know we, we've been giving updates on all the guys that recently either were drafted or were signed as undrafted free agents we've been trying to give updates on any nfl players that went to oklahoma state that have signed new contracts that are looking good in the offseason but all we really have this week since most of the rookie camps are finished is the raiders waving brock martin hey I think I said this when he got signed. I know a lot of people are high on Brock Martin. He's a really good player at Oklahoma State. But with all of his injury issues, and I think you agreed with me, I thought it was going to be a shock if he made a team and kind of stuck around long-term in the NFL. And I love Brock Martin. Like I said, I think he was a great player at Oklahoma State. He just got so banged up. He played in college football for so long, took so many shots. I just don't think his body could stand up to it. Well, and especially the style he plays, he's really kind of a, he's kind of a brute. He doesn't really uh, wow you with athleticism. He's going to kind of, kind of ha- got to overpower you in some ways. So that's not a great style in the NFL with a broken down body. So I totally agree with you. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate for him, but who knows, maybe he gets picked up by somebody else. It's early yeah. in the off season and that can always happen, but uh, you don't want to get passed around that early. I don't think. Yeah, I definitely don't think this is like you said, and that's a great point. I don't think this is the end of his NFL career. I think he'll get another shot. But you mentioned it. He's kind of a like a tweener because he yeah. plays with such brute force, but he's trying to be more, you know, at the at the pro day at Oklahoma State, he did all outside linebacker drills. Right. And linebacker drills. And this is a guy who primarily played defensive end 
and then the Leo position at Oklahoma State. So I think he was trying to show that he had the versatility, but maybe, you know, with his body being so banged up, it just it just wasn't able to come to fruition for him. All the best to Brock. Like I said, I still think he gets another shot, maybe a couple more shots, but it won't be with the Raiders at this time. Yeah, and it's too bad, but it's it's just the way the game is. And I, I think we've kind of nailed it with him. It's he's he's in a weird spot just the way he plays. So here's to hoping he gets picked up by somebody else. Yeah, agreed. On recruiting news, so we talked about it last week. June is when visits are going to start happening again, but you'll still see offers come through. There was a few offers that went out. We're mainly going to focus on 2024, even though Oklahoma State's been offering 2025 and 2026 pretty heavily recently as well. A couple guys, Cade, I want to get your thoughts on too as well. Ellis Davis, 2024 offensive tackle, 6'6", 260 from Prosper High School in Prosper, Texas. He's a three-star, the number 24, number 24 OT, number 46 player in Texas overall. Looks like he primarily played right tackle in his huddle tape. Had a lot of experience pulling, is extremely physical, played on the defensive line as well. He holds more than two dozen Power 5 offers, and he helped Prosper to a third and two overall record in the semifinals of the Texas 6A Division I state playoffs last year. He's got official visits scheduled for Stanford, TCU, and Texas Tech. So Oklahoma State's getting in the mix maybe a little late there. You know, Arizona State, Auburn, BYU, Colorado, OU, Oregon, Penn State, Tennessee, A&M, just to name a few, along with several group of five programs. This seems like a guy that maybe they're getting in on a little late but would be a huge pickup. I mean, he's a top 25 overall offensive tackle in the country, according to 247. But I'm just not sure if Ellis Davis is a guy they're going to end up landing with all those officials already set up. I do think they could beat out schools like TCU and Texas Tech and Stanford. I just get a little worried with some of those other names and OSU getting in this late. It's kind of rare to see Oklahoma State come in late. Like, I I feel like... Maybe something positive has happened there too, because you've seen the chart. Oklahoma State extends on average some of the fewest amount of scholarships in the Power Five level. It makes you wonder what's going on there to make Oklahoma State break the mold. He's a he's a bona fide, you know, four star. I think you said he is, um, but he's he's you know well off in his recruitment profile. This is a little bit interesting to me. I'm just kind of looking yeah. through the the lines here. Yeah, and he he's three, but Cade, to your point, he's a three star. But to yeah. your point, because he's such a high ranked offensive lineman, yeah, top twenty five. You'll take that. for a position like running back or quarterback, that would be a four star. Because right, right, offensive right. linemen get graded obviously a little bit differently. There, there's not as many five and fours. But yeah, good point. Maybe maybe there is something they saw that they like. If they can get an official visit set up, I think that would be big time. Along with Davis, Wyatt Simmons who has kind of taken off recently. So he's a 2024 linebacker, 6'3", 215 pounds from Harding Academy in Searcy, Arkansas, three-star, number 59 linebacker, number 10 overall player in Arkansas. But basically what he did, Cade, is he he tweeted out his highlight tape and instantly it got discovered and initiated a wave of FBS offers. So sometimes that works out in the age of social media for these guys if you watch his tape, he's a very, very fun player to watch. Extremely athletic, big-time hitter. He's already gotten uh, offers from Arkansas, Auburn, Florida State, 
uh, Miami, Mississippi State, OU, Ole Miss, SMU, and then a bunch of group of five schools. His dad coaches at Harding University, which they've offered as well, but he's got a lot of bigger schools coming after him now. 84 tackles, 15 for loss, six sacks, and two defensive touchdowns last season. He also played on offense, rushing the ball 12 times for 61 yards and a touchdown, and had two catches for 109 yards that both went for touchdowns. So he's a very talented player. Oklahoma State not really getting in on him late, just getting in on him when everybody else did after he tweeted out that video. But he's in track and field as well. He does shot put and discus. He does the triple jump, the long jump. This is just a freak athlete. And if, if for the listeners out there, you should definitely go check out that tape he tweeted out, Wyatt Simmons. He's a very talented player. Yeah, that's that's my Gundy's music right there. If you can do all of those things <laughs> and you're tweeting out your highlight tape, that's that's the bring your lunch pail to work kind of guy that Mike Gundy wants. A hundred percent. I think, you know, he is taking off, but hasn't gone on any visits from what I can see. So Oklahoma State, I think, still should be in the mix, even though some of those bigger schools are involved with him not having any official visits set up or anything like that. And the last one, Kate, I wanted to hit Lance Taylor Jr., another linebacker, 2024, 6'2", 210 pounds from the Memphis Academy of Science and Engineering in Memphis, Tennessee. He's the number 98 linebacker, number 34 overall player in Tennessee. He has nine D1 offers in the past month. He's kind of taken off recently as well, similar to Simmons. Colorado, Georgia Tech, Miami, Nebraska, Ole Miss, Purdue, West Virginia, and then a bunch of smaller in-state programs in Tennessee, like UT Martin, Middle Tennessee State. He's already visited several of those programs that I mentioned. He had 134 tackles, 78 of them solo, two interceptions and four forced fumbles. He also played on offense, rushing for 434 yards and 10 touchdowns last season as a junior. Another name to watch. I like all three of these guys a lot, Kate. They're all very talented players. It'd be awesome if Oklahoma State could land just one of them. Yeah, no kidding. And each one of them kind of has a unique story to them. Like this is, uh, these are the kind of guys that Oklahoma State hopes to get, I think. So this will be interesting to, to watch as, as this unfolds. Hey, I wanted to hit a couple of top five top lists. I know we don't normally do that, but one of these, two of them are very interesting for yeah, different for reasons. Sure. The first one, David Cabongo, he released his top five of Oklahoma State, KU, Indiana, SMU, and UTSA. Brian Nardo tweeted out when this was announced that he did his top five and then he announced that he's coming to visit Oklahoma State. Brian Nardo around that same time tweeted out the cowboy smiley face with the fire emoji. We saw several <laughs> other kind of domino tweets, I think, from uh, Cody Nagel at 247, some, some different tweets like that. So Cabongo has said he's not going to commit until I believe it's June 12th. But, Cade, I think we may have a silent commit here Whoa. that hasn't been fully, you know, officially announced because he still has official visits set up. Kansas on June 9th, OSU on June 15th, and Indiana on June 23rd. I'm thinking that he maybe is going to take the Kansas visit and then commit on the Oklahoma State one and cancel the Indiana. And my, the reason why I think that is because – We've heard some rumors that that may be the case. And also, I think he does want to do some official visits, just not completely not take them because he thinks he's going to Oklahoma State. I feel like I would do the same thing if I was him. It's fun right. to get that free visit. Yeah, absolutely. Get to hang out, see the campuses. 
I think originally he was planning on committing on June 26th, which would be shortly after that Indiana, but I think he's moved it up. So we'll see kind of what happens there. He's a aggressive tackler, seven interceptions the past two seasons, super athlete. I saw him playing corner, safety, wide receiver. He's listed as a safety in the 2024 class, 5'11", 175 pounds from Byron Nelson at Trophy Club, Texas, three-star, number 73 safety, and number 108 player in Texas. I think this is the next commit for Oklahoma State. Yeah, it feels like Oklahoma State's been on him for a while. Is that the yeah. case? Because that name's I've, that's been out there for a while. Yeah, he. So I think that he was offered. I don't know if I wrote down exactly when he was offered, but he's been talking with Brian Nardo since he was right. announced as the defensive coordinator right. several months ago. So yeah, well, I knew we had talked about him several times, so that's why I was thinking that that was. I mean, it's a, it's a potentially great get i mean he's your prototypical you know probably your cam smith type of player if i had to yeah. pinpoint the guy maybe a lyric rawls but uh yeah a, a really interesting prospect the other top list i wanted to mention Cade, is it, it's interesting for another reason reason so isaac wilson this is zach wilson's younger brother announced a top six of UCLA, BYU, Arizona State, Utah, Arizona, and Oklahoma State. He's 2024, six foot, 190 pound, four star quarterback from Corner Canyon High School in Draper, Utah. He's the number 14 rated QB, number two player in Utah. I think this is a guy that it's a very, it's kind of a weird list of schools. I mean, it, it not really because of is. the areas they're in, but because of the styles of play when you've got BYU in there and then you've got Chip Kelly's UCLA, you've got Oklahoma state, but then you've got Utah in there. So very interesting. Not so much. I know they're all kind of schools that are affiliated, affiliated with, with each other being in the PAC 12 and then with Oklahoma state there and BYU in the big 12, but just it, it's a name to watch and it's a, you know, a prominent name because he's Zach Wilson's little brother, but 11 and three record for corner Canyon last year, he threw for three, 3,774 yards and 40 touchdowns while rushing for almost 700. He officially visited Stillwater in April and OSU offered in, in September. They, there's two other quarterbacks in the class that OSU has offered that aren't committed that we've talked about on here, Aiden Glover and Maluke Smith. We'll see. I, I mean, that would be pretty interesting to have Zach Wilson's oh. little brother on the team. I think you would absolutely take it. And he's probably got upside just the genes alone that that takes you right. somewhere. So the other thing I'll say, Oklahoma state's kind of the, the uh, odd man out, not necessarily in the recruitment, but in terms of the other five schools, everybody else's West coast, everybody else's uh, you know, as you said, Dustin, they've got interesting styles of play, but Oklahoma state is the only, you know, central America school on that list and the only big 12 school i guess i should say outside of byu i gotta get that in my brain now but you get my point like there's probably something to that he's already visited he was offered this is now approaching a nine month long recruitment process i think there's probably something here and i i, I like his tape 3700 yards is is nothing to bat an eye at yeah, so some names to watch there as far as top lists go, but I think Cabongo will be Oklahoma State's next commit. A couple of official visits. I'll run through these guys quickly, just giving who they are and their names. Kadavian Dotson, 2024, six foot, 180 pound, Duncanville High School, Duncanville, Texas. He's a four star. The number he's a safety, number 26 overall safety, number 44 player in Texas. He's going to visit 
Oklahoma State on June 9th, and he also said he's going to visit SMU on June 22nd, so a name to watch there. Edward Smith, who recently included Oklahoma State in his top seven, he's a 2024 defensive lineman, 6'6", 250 pounds, Dawson High School in Pearland, Texas. He's a three-star, number 23 edge, number 57 in Texas. I didn't see the exact date, but he will be visiting officially soon. And then the last one is Kiefer Seb- Sebley, 2024 running back who we talked about on here before, 5'8", 175 pounds from Conley High School in Waco, Texas, three-star, number 89 running back, number 148 player in Texas. He's going to be visiting on June 22nd. Conley High School is obviously where Corey Black is from. He has said that Corey Black is recruiting him heavily to come to (laughs) Oklahoma State, so shout out to Corey there. Hey, just some names to watch for, and we'll kind of keep you updated on how those visits go as we get to them and and they get a little bit closer. Yeah, appreciate that, Dustin. Thank you for always bringing us the latest and keeping us abreast of all the uh, great recruiting news. Some interesting prospects on this week's rundown for sure. Do we want to hit basketball real quick before we take a break? Yeah, let's do it. I think so. I mean, Dustin, as I said in the open, transfer portal, we are in a dead period. Correct me if I'm wrong. So it's a little yes. bit slow. Uh, May 26th. Yeah. And, and not a whole lot going on. Oklahoma State really only linked to a couple of new prospects since we last spoke, Dustin. Yeah. So we've got Jesse Zaz- Zarzuela from Central Michigan. I think initially, Kate, correct me if I'm wrong here. A bunch of schools were in on him initially with one of those John Rothstein tweets that list yeah. off millions of schools. <laughs> but he, there was a recently a tweet that came out that said he's kind of narrowed it down. Or I don't know if he's narrowed it down or if the schools have kind of narrowed him down to Arizona, Oregon, Pitt, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma State. I know he just visited Oregon. I know he's planning to visit Pitt. I know a while ago he visited George Mason. This is a guy who played in 17 games, started seven, 16.3 points per game, 2.7 assists, 2.8 rebounds last season at Central Michigan. He shot 36% from three on almost seven attempts a game. But if you look back at the season before when he was at Coppin State, he only shot 30% from three on 7.3 attempts per game. He's been at Central Michigan, Coppin State, Missouri State, West Plains, Navarro in college in Texas, and UTEP. He's been all over the place. I think this is just a guy that would be maybe a depth piece at guard, but maybe like one of your first guys off the bench. Yeah, I mean, Dustin, his tape is pretty impressive. I mean, he's a three-level scorer. He's a little bit undersized, so I don't know how well that translates necessarily to the Big 12, but I mean, I think he would be pushing a guy like Jarius Hicklin for playing time. Like I I think it would be a a battle between those two guys for that first guard off the bench. I'll say this. If schools like Penn state Pitt and the two NCAA tournament teams that just recently uh, this last year in Oregon, they're trying to get him in on visits. I, I hope Oklahoma state is in the mix here, but you start hearing those names and I, I wonder if Oklahoma state's, actually in the mix from an NIL perspective. I'm not convinced things are going well there. Especially the fact that he's already visited Oregon and he's planning to visit Pitt, two of the schools I mentioned in that list. So it's a great point by you. It's a very confusing path for him through college and confusing why he didn't start more games last season at Central Michigan. I know. I think there was some injury issues why he didn't play in as many games, but the starting is a little odd. 
the Coppin State, I mean, at Coppin State, he averaged a bunch of points too and started in a bunch of games there. He's been kind of all over the place. I think this would be a great get, like you mentioned, and somebody that, yeah, could definitely push for a starting spot. I just, I, I'm with you. I don't know if it's truly someone Oklahoma State's going to land with kind of where it seems like they're at in this process. Yeah, 100%. And I don't want to beat the NIL dead horse, but yeah, I, I think they're up against uh, maybe some deeper pockets here. Yeah, agreed. And then the other name is Malcolm Dandridge from Memphis. Played all four seasons at Memphis, was a very highly touted high school recruit. Never played in or never started more than seven games in a season, but played in over 24 games all four years. Career average of 4.2 points, three rebounds, less than one assist, almost one block and almost one steal. This is a guy, Cade, that we were talking about is probably a depth big man. So this would, I think he's definitely a step up from a Bernard, Bernard Kuma, but not somebody I don't think that would be a starter next season. But you and I mentioned they probably need to go get another big man. I, I'm not sure how much Dandridge really gives you right, right. at his career stats at Memphis, but he's 6'9", 260 pounds. He's, I know he's had a knee injury that's kind of bothered him throughout his career. I think he sustained it in his senior year of high school. So that probably played into the fact that he didn't live up to his high school hype. But, I, I mean, Kate, is this a guy you would take if he wanted to come to Oklahoma State? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> if that's the, if that's all you can do, I, I, I guess you would, but um, I mean, I'm, I'm the guy with the podcast. I'm not the coach. I'm not the one actually <laughs> out here scouting these guys. I don't know him personally. Maybe he's a great culture fit uh, and, and makes a lot of sense, but just stat sheet wise. No, I don't think he fits a need that you have because Mike Marsh was, is supposed to be the guy off the bench that that third piece you know I, i'm just i have concerns that brandon garrison is going to come in and be your bona fide big 12 ready to go starting center on day one and it's not a brandon garrison issue it's a he's going to be young in a conference that's dominated uh in the post i mean kansas will dominate you in the post houston will dominate you in the post uh, and I don't know if Oklahoma State is is built to withstand that the way the roster is set up currently. Like, if I I, I told you the other day, I think a I think a post player is the most important thing that Oklahoma State is missing, and I I I, I stand by that. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting, Kate. Like we said last week, if if Oklahoma State lands somebody, it's probably not going to be either either of these guys. It's probably somebody that we either hear about when they're visiting or we don't even hear about until they commit because we've seen that pattern kind of happen with Hicklin. We heard a little bit about Hicklin before he committed. We heard nothing about Marsh before he committed. Like you just, like you just noted. So we'll see how it goes, but definitely, you know, with the two spots still open, they're not, they're obviously not going to leave them both open. They don't need to leave them both open. You and I don't think they need to leave either of them open this year. So I think that they, I think that they're going to take at least one, possibly two more guys, and then we'll just kind of see how it goes. Yeah, and I, I, again, I think there's still probably some guys out there that are their future is in flux, whether they're you know in the NBA draft process or they're you know some of these guys are in the draft and in the portal, or there are guys that are in the draft and not yet in the portal. I mean, there's a guy uh, I can't remember his name from Mizzou who uh, 
it's been speculated for months that he's going to enter the portal, but he's in the NBA draft process. And if he comes out of that, like who knows what happens? So yeah, Dustin, I, I, I don't know where Oklahoma state goes, but um, I feel better about things this week than I did last, but uh, I, I just, I think they're going to need more top line talent to be a, a true factor in the big 12 next year, unless you want to be in that first four out uh, last four in, uh, I, I think you need a little bit more talent than they're currently pulling in. Yeah. And Kate, I completely agree. It's, it's kind of a, been a little bit of a depressing portal with what we've been hearing about Oklahoma state's NIL and just kind of what's been going on with some of the other teams and some of these guys that have entered the portal that Oklahoma state hasn't been able to land. Yeah. You, you definitely hope things are getting better there, but um, I, I, I just don't know. Uh, let's, let's not be depressing about basketball. Anymore, yeah, we'll stay optimistic. There's a lot we'll of stay optimistic. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, recruiting opportunity. Class. Yeah. The, the recruiting class is great. There is still a portal there. Like who knows what happens? Maybe NIL turns some things around, but right now it's, it's a problem for Oklahoma state. So we'll see how it goes over the next couple of months. Hey, I think we can head into the break and then hit baseball and softball. Well, let's do it. Let's take a quick break here. Word from our sponsors. We'll come right back and we'll talk baseball and softball. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. All right, Dustin, welcome back. Uh, cowgirls. Do we start? You want to start there? Or you want to start baseball? Tell me. Let's, let's start baseball. Okay. And then we can move. Cause we'll probably, we'll probably go a little bit longer on, softball with it being the regional and everything so we can talk baseball so baseball let's just start with the whole picture of the weekend right we knew that oklahoma state needed to sweep oklahoma more than likely and they needed a sweep of west virginia by texas and by golly they got that and they didn't necessarily need the sweep against oklahoma to at least secure a share of the big 12 title uh, so, Dustin, I mean, the bats came alive on Friday and Sunday for Oklahoma State and Norman uh, continued the traditional bedlam beatdown. And I think that was the first bedlam in Norman in like 40 years. And they waited for that. So it was pretty, pretty sweet weekend <laughs> for the Cowboys. Yeah. So they went 13 to two in game one. <laughs> it was just a absolute domination. The Oklahoma State starting pitcher, uh, Douthit, got rocked. You might even see him tomorrow because he didn't pitch for very long because he just got absolutely destroyed. Colin Brigham homered twice. Tyler Wolford hit a home run. Uh, five RBIs for Brigham in that game. Wolford and Riggio each drove in two runs. Evan O'Toole came in 
in relief of starter Nolan McLean, which kid you and I said that might happen last week. So Nolan McLean got the start. You know, he's normally a closer. He's been injured for a while. O'Toole pitched good. Then in game two, Oklahoma State takes a 5-0 loss. But Braden Carmichael of OU was lights out. The left-hander, Oklahoma State just really couldn't do anything. Ron Watts Brown actually wasn't terrible through the first several innings. Then he kind of just lost it, I think, in about the fourth inning. But he did go over 100 strikeouts for the season, which makes him the 16th Cowboy pitcher of all time to do that in a single season. So it's it's pretty awesome. It's only been done 20 times by 16 different players. So uh, he's a big strikeout guy. I, I'm interested to see, you know, if he, I think he is draft eligible if he comes back to kind of see how he can continue developing in Oklahoma State. And then in game three, Oklahoma State wins 11 to one. So in the two games they won, they won, they won by a combined 24 to three. So just an absolute beatdown in that third game. They looked really good. Um, ben Abram pitched and he pitched really well against his former school. Nolan Schumer and Chase Atkinson both had great days at the plate. Schubert went three for four. Atkinson had three hits. Ben Abram moved to seven and two on the season, which is pretty awesome for a guy that wasn't really even a starter at OU and Isaac Stebbins looked good in relief. So pretty awesome overall. Like you said, they want to share the big 12 with Texas and West Virginia. They ended up locking in the two seeds. So they'll play OU tomorrow, which is Wednesday at 4 PM. That'll be on ESPN plus if they win or lose, they play Thursday, and then if they win on Thursday, they'd play Saturday. If they lose on Thursday, they'd either be out if they lost the first game or they'd play Friday. So the full bracket is up on the Big 12 website. You can check that out. I think OU's obviously a favorable <laughs> matchup there. And if they if they win or lose, they have to play either Tech or West Virginia, who they both lost series to. So that'll be interesting. Kate, I wanted to I wanted to ask you a question, and this is gonna be me continuing to talk for a really long time so i'm sorry <laughs> but let's just talk about okay so let's focus on big 12 or sorry on oklahoma state regular season baseball i know there's okay. still a postseason there's still a big 12 tournament coming into the season the four major polls which is d1 baseball baseball america collegiate baseball and perfect game they had oklahoma state ranked 9 12 15 and 18 coming into the season the Big 12 coaches preseason poll had Oklahoma State as second. There was a stretch in this season where I know myself, and I'm not going to drag you in because I can't remember if you were too, but got pretty negative when they were in that losing streak. Yeah. Dude, I think if you just look at regular season, this team in most, in most NCAA tournament projections is hosting. So that would go along with those preseason polls I talked about and actually better than the one that had them at 18. And they finished with a share of the Big 12, which is technically first place, and got the second seed after being predicted second. I think they met or exceeded expectations as far as regular season goes. Do you agree there? It's it's tough for me to say they exceeded, but I definitely think as the season went on and got late, things got a lot better. Uh, I agree with you, and I was negative on this. I was way down on this team. Like they're not going to host a regional, and this is this is going to be a an abject failure. And they recovered brilliantly. I mean, I can't remember the number, but they they won the vast majority of their games down the stretch to even be in contention for a conference title. So uh, it is a good season by that metric. And I would say 
I would say, I guess you can make a case that they exceeded because of the tear they went on near the end of the year. Um, that lull at the middle of the year was tough, and you wish that you know they could have snuck out a couple more games, secure that Big 12 title by themselves. But at the end of the day, you share a Big 12 title, I think you would have taken that at the beginning of the year, wouldn't you? Yeah, and it honestly worked out to where the kind of weakness of the team, the starting pitching – was almost what we expected when you lose Justin Campbell, Victor Medeiros, and Bryce Osmond and replace them with three guys who've never started for Oklahoma State. One of those guys who hasn't even played college baseball yet in Carson Binge, who missed all of last season, which would have been his true freshman season. You didn't lose as much at the plate. You know, guys like Caden Trinkle left, but you replaced them with guys like Nolan Schubert. But they lose those three starting pitchers, they have a couple injuries in the bullpen. The bullpen ends up shaping up as the season goes along, and the starting pitching is really the only question mark. It, Like you said, it kind of is a meet, met expectations all around, not just in the where they ended in the rankings, but on what kind of the strengths and weaknesses of the team were. Well, I mean, they they struggled so much with pitching during that middle stretch of the year. And I think pitching ended up being a big part of the reason that they were able to go on that winning streak. It won them games at times that they probably had no business winning. The bats, though, I mean, from game one till now, this is one of the best lineups in college baseball. And it's for that reason that I think they have a chance to go as far as they possibly want to, but it's going to have to be the bats that take them there, Dustin. And that's why, like, the ceiling is winning like a, a a super regional, I think advancing all the way deep into the college world series, they could go that far. I also think the floor is not getting out of Stillwater in your own regional again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you and I going into this season, I think we both said this was a team that needed to get to the supers after not getting out of regionals last year. I don't, I, again, I don't want to speak for you cause I can't remember, but I, I didn't think this team was a college world series team just because of everything they no. lost pitching. Now I did think they were going to be a great hitting team. So if they make it to the supers after how this regular season went, I, I think you call it a successful season. If they get out of the regional. I, I Yeah. I mean, by, by that standard, absolutely. By saying, well, last year was no good. Then absolutely. I think you could say that. Um, I think Oklahoma state's, you know, their, their standard is high. They, they want to be in college world series. They believe they should be there. Their lineup. Again, I'll say this, their batting lineup is probably a top 10 lineup in college baseball. That should be enough to get you into contention for a college world series appearance. And that to me is, is not necessarily the barometer of a successful season because it's really hard to get there. And a lot of things can happen in regionals and supers, but absolutely to your point, if they get to the supers, I think you would feel good about that. Um, but I, I, I do think that they can get to the College World Series. Um, the bats are just gonna have to stay hot. Yeah, and and the thing about them getting to the College World Series is everybody's starting pitching is going to struggle as we get into this NCAA tournament. Well, it's an impossible situation. Yeah. yeah, having to pitch a lot of innings, having to, you know, just the pitching coaches having to manage it. So I think, you know, with Oklahoma State's yeah, bats right. being such a strength, 24th in batting average, 30th in on-base percentage, 15th in home runs, like you said, I think those stats, if you look at them all combined, you've got to put them in the top 15, top 10, top 20 yeah. best hitting teams in the country. 
And that's going to be huge as we move into postseason play. And I think they're going to score a lot of runs. I, I think in kid, okay, let's just go, let's take a step back to the big 12 tournament. I think honestly, if they, if they just win one game, I think they're probably hosting. I think they're going to win more than that, but they're 20th in RPI right now. You win this first game against OU and then take a loss to, let's say, a Texas Tech. And, you know, they end up, you know, getting knocked out, but they get the one win in the tournament. I think they, they need to win two to secure it. But I think one in the NCAA is giving you a, a host at O'Brate. I, f- I feel like they're going to go on a tear. I think you're right. I agree with you. And, and you know, you need one. But I think they're going to go on a tear. I think they're the, one of the hottest teams in this conference, along probably with Texas. Uh, West Virginia maybe doing a little soul searching after that series this weekend. So we'll see, Dustin. I mean, I think it's a good year to have picked, like to be on that side of the bracket with Texas Tech. I know you lost a series to both of those teams. But I think if you could pick, that's the side of the bracket you probably wanted to be on. Yeah, and Oklahoma State set themselves up great for this game tomorrow because they threw they were able to get a win starting Nolan McLean, who hasn't started a game all season, whereas OU threw both it, Carmichael, and hit, and they're not going to be able to throw Carmichael again. I wouldn't think right. after going 100 pitches in nine innings on, on Friday, this being Wednesday, Oklahoma State didn't throw binge at all. Who's their right. normal Sunday starter and has been for a while now. They'll be able to – I think they'd probably throw him tomorrow against OU. Uh, against – I mean, maybe they go doubt it again, but Oklahoma State just rocked him. They also threw Carter Campbell on Saturday, 44 pitches. I, I mean, he's a bullpen guy, but he's their probably their best bullpen guy. They still got Will Carson in there. I just – all of that to say, I don't think OU's pitching – is in a great spot. And I think Oklahoma States is in a great spot as we move into this game. You know, several guys didn't pitch or didn't pitch much. You know, Root and Blake, Phillips, Hendry, all those guys could go. I think Stebbins maybe be able to go again. He'd probably be in a similar place to uh, Campbell for them because he threw quite a few pitches in that Saturday game. But we'll kind of see how it goes. The bats have been hot, like you said. I think they easily easily handle OU tomorrow and then we'll see out of Texas Tech and West Virginia how it goes yeah 100 percent, Dustin again I think they got the the right juice to make a run here and uh, we know they like the Big 12 tournament so let's see how it goes agreed okay you want to move into softball and recap this regional yeah I think so went pretty well didn't it (laughs) it did so Oklahoma State doesn't need any extra games they go ahead and just win three in a row Kelly Maxwell Cade not to give ourselves flowers, but we called that as well. They went with Kelly Maxwell against the lowest seeded UMBC. And I think it was great because she had a 10 strikeout performance and just absolutely dominated. There was a little bit of a weather delay in that game, but this was her first five inning shut five innings of shutout since April four and tallying double digit strikeouts since April 14th. So she went back to kind of that Kelly Maxwell of old. There's a lot of great hits in that game. Oklahoma State was able to pull it out in a run rule 9-0 victory. Then they play Wichita State. And Cade, you know, I, I know she's not listening to this podcast, so I don't want to just <laughs> trash her on here. But listening to Kenny Gajewski on the radio show, listening to the announcers during the game, it sounds like, I believe her name's Christy, Wichita State's coach, was just talking a lot of trash coming into this tournament. 
And then they barely beat Nebraska. Have to come back in the first game and win six to five in extra innings. Oklahoma State beats them six zero, almost run rules them in that game. And then, Cade, sadly, they don't even make the final because they lose to Nebraska. So I believe her quote was, we're excited to be in this regional, but I don't think Oklahoma State is excited to have us here. Oh, it wow. didn't even matter because they couldn't even make it to the final game, Cade, and they lose 6-0 to zero at Oklahoma State on, on Saturday. Yeah, that's so that's I, embarrassing. A lot, and it sounded like it, I think her, her and Kenny are friends, but you could tell on the radio show, which I believe was recorded yesterday, that that rubbed him the wrong way. He brought it up like three times on the radio show. So I'm from Wichita. That's pretty, I mean, that's some Wichita State energy right there. I, yeah. it, it's a little bit short man energy right there. Well, I mean, one, two, three Cabo for them, but Oklahoma State moves past them. They play Nebraska, <laughs> a team that they they beat good. <laughs> twice this year already, but it was, it was tight. Oklahoma State went up first, and Nebraska came back and took – a two-run lead. So Kelly Maxwell started that game. Kilfoyle came in and got a little wild and gave up those runs. Maxwell looked great again. But Oklahoma State comes back and wins it 5-2. to two, And they looked pretty dominant, Kate, in this regional. And they actually are not going to be taking on Arkansas, who was the host of that regional in Fayetteville. Oregon actually got out of that regional. So they'll be playing Oregon in the super regional games, which will be Thursday, Friday, and then if needed, Saturday. It's a late one on Thursday. I believe it's 8 p.m. Central time. Outside of that super, it looks like every ranked team, every host got out except for the two seed, UCLA. San Diego State gets out of that regional. So that was pretty pretty incredible for UCLA as the two seed. They didn't win a game in the regional. regional. Yeah, they didn't win a game. Just incredible. Oh, sorry. I missed one. LSU. I, I tried to blank that one out of my memory, but <laughs> LSU also didn't make it out. Louisiana Lafayette, who loves, uh, who wants to be called Louisiana, but they'll always be Louisiana Lafayette. They made it out of that regional. So it's going to be interesting, Cade. I think they, okay, so Oklahoma State played Oregon in, the, in their first game of the season. It was Oregon's third game of the season, and they beat them in that game. It was close, but Kelly Maxwell dominated them in that game i think it was three to zero was the final score they're 15th in rpi they're a good hitting team 25 in batting average 53rd in era 64th in fielding percentage they're a solid all-around team they lost some games early and then kind of picked it up as the season went on i think they got knocked out in the first round of the pac-12 tournament they've got a lot of good players bunker carlson delgado mcgowan all really good hitters I think that you'll probably they'll probably see one of the pitchers they've already seen. I know Stevie Hansen is kind of their ace. Uh, Morgan Scott also is uh, takes up a bulk of their innings. Not many teams are like Oklahoma State where they have a Kyra Acock who throws a lot of games. You may see a Reagan Breedlove, but this is a really good team. But I think Oklahoma State is the better team. Well, Oregon is always good. I mean, that's they're not a blue blood in softball, but they are in the conversation of the College World Series almost year in and year out. So it's not shocking that they're the team to get out of that Arkansas regional. I think they're kind of built for a moment like that. This is going to be a fun, super regional matchup. It is unique to get a team like Oregon 
into Stillwater. It kind of gives me that same vibes as when they brought Florida State into Stillwater for the three-game weekend series. It's got a similar vibe to it for me, and I can't wait for this, Dustin. I think this is a tougher matchup for Oklahoma State than Arkansas might have been, but I think they've already seen them. So I think you know what you're going to get out of them. There should be some familiarity. I think it bodes well in the same way that it bode well for them with Wichita State and Nebraska. They were familiar with both of those teams already too. Yeah, uh, it's a great it's a great breakdown, Cade. Okay, Cade, let's do predictions. We kind of did it for baseball, but let's finalize our baseball and softball. We don't have to say big ball tournament for baseball. Let's just talk about their postseason run, and we can yeah. talk about it again next week. I think Oklahoma State will make it out of the regional. I think if they have to match up against a team like LSU, who they're projected to match up with in two different uh, previews that I saw of the of the men's tournament, that they'll probably get knocked out there. I think Oklahoma State baseball makes it to the Supers, but I think the Cowgirls are going to the College World Series, and I think yeah. they're going to make a run at going all the way to that final game. Yeah, I I, I see it the exact same way you do, Dustin. In these, you know it. The regular season in softball is a 50-game marathon. These are one game. This is a one-game season at this point. And Oklahoma State, I don't think you want to play them in a situation like that. Um, You saw what happened to UCLA, but that is an outlier. Usually these teams that are the best all year are really, really tough to knock off uh, at this stretch in the season because they're approaching it with one game of one game mentality. And I I think Oklahoma state's going to be really tough to beat because of that. And Dustin, I'll be interested to see when they get to the college world series, because I think that's where they're going to go. What side of the bracket they land on because UCLA getting knocked out is a huge deal uh, in the grand scheme of the college world series. You know, I would imagine that Oklahoma State lands kind of on that side of the bracket rather than meeting with OU potentially in the semifinals to get to the college That's a great series. So, and I actually, we could probably figure that out. I think the bracket, you could see all the way down that way. But uh, my point to that, Dustin, is that removes a potential barrier in your way. So I, I do think they're going to make a run. No, great point, Kate. And it's going to be awesome. I, you know, it's it was easy to kind of get down on this team and definitely not calling any fans or listeners out for that but when you watch them earlier this season and the way they played some of these teams like florida state winning that series i just didn't think there was any way they were going to let this season just kind of end like that and lose the losing the regional and i don't even think they're losing the super regional this is a college world series team and i think they're they're going to make it there and beat oregon i don't think they're going to need a third game to do it i think they'll beat oregon in two yeah, I, I fully agree. And Dustin, as we've been talking, I, I went ahead and pulled up the bracket. UCLA would have been on Oklahoma State's side. So that's a really positive development if Oklahoma State were to advance all the way. And the teams yeah. that they would likely play would be a Florida State or a Georgia in that first round. And then you would have gotten the winner of a UCLA, Washington, LSU, Utah. So that shapes up pretty nice for the Cowgirls. Get through yeah, this weekend, and- though. Yeah, I did. Kate, when we were going through, I did want to mention Talon Edwards was the star at the plate in the regional five hits. She was awesome. It's incredible for someone so young, true freshman that enrolled when she was 17. She's 18 now. Just absolutely insane for her to do that. So shout out to Talon Edwards for dominating at the plate. Dustin, I think she's going to end up being the way we talk about Kelly Maxwell. I think Talon Edwards is going to be very similar. Like there was a time where people were asking us, is Kelly Maxwell the best athlete on campus? I think Talon Edwards has that type of ceiling. Like, yeah, one of the best. I agree. 
No, I agree. And and Kate, one more note. Shout out to shout out to my girl Megan Bloodworth. She's been she's been getting bashed for her low batting average at the plate, making a couple errors recently, and then people are saying she's been making errors all season, which is not true. She goes and has one of the best games in the field I've seen from anybody all season in this regional. And she got a couple of hits. She's not the best hitter, but she did what she needed to do in this regional. I know Kenny Gajewski really likes her a lot. You could tell she was in one of the uh, post-game pressers with him. It was him, Megan, and Lexi Kilfoyle. She just seems like a great person. And so I wanted to shout out to her because I know she's, I don't know if she's seen it, but she's obviously been taking some, some flack on Twitter, so. Well, give her her flowers, Dustin. Appreciate you doing she that. She has them. She has them. <laughs> uh, okay, Cade, quick roundup. Not not a ton of news, but one note I wanted to stay on for a little bit, which you mentioned at the beginning of the pod. So in golf, men's golf, a little bit of a disappointing end of the season for them. It's tough because they lost guys like Eugenio uh, Chikara. They lost an Eamon Gupta. They lost a Brian Stark who transferred to Texas. They didn't get out of the Las Vegas Regional. They finished seventh, the top five teams advanced. This was right after we recorded last week that this was finalized. For the second time in 75 years, OSU men's golf won't be at the NCAA championship. Wow. So that wow. was tough. I, I mean, kid, you could, I think you got to say it's a disappointing season just because of that stat. Losing th- your three top golfers, I think, is just really tough when you talk about Lopez, Shikara, Gupta, and Stark no longer being on the team. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, and it's a little bit lower caliber, but losing Wolf Hovland and Ventura took him a little bit to rebound completely from that. Now, granted, the bottom didn't fall all the way out the way it did this season, but um, I mean, you know, Oklahoma State's going to bring in top talent. They they will be fine long term. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The women, on the other hand, they made it to the NCAA tournament. They made it to the 15 cut. They did not make it to the final eight match play. They finished 11th at Greyhawk in Arizona. Madison Henson Tolchard finished fourth out of wow. all golfers. Kate, I know they didn't make it to the final eight, but man, after losing, and this yeah. is a little bit different, I think, than the men, because the two golfers that they lost, and I'm not knocking Stark and Lopez Cara, but the two golfers that they lost were two of the best women's golfers, college golfers in the world. Absolutely. And they lose them, and they come out and almost make it to the final eight when everybody thought they probably weren't even going to. I mean, I think the preseason, they were projected to make it to the NCAA, like to the to the final tournament, but not make it to the 15 cut, not even get close to the final eight. Yeah. And they were three places away in 11th from that final eight. I, I think it's a successful season for them all around and a great season for them to build on going forward. Yeah, that, absolutely, Dustin. I, I couldn't agree more with you. It's like they end up in similar situations, but the way they got there is not at all the same between the men and the women. Yeah, shout out to Greg Robertson, the women's golf coach. He is obviously a beast. At coaching women's golf. So, uh, Kate, the last note on golf is not college related, but you noted at the beginning of the podcast talking about the bunker shot. Victor Hovland finishes T2 in the PGA Championship. He's been on quite a tear lately in majors. So, he's finished fourth in the 2022 Open, T7 in the Masters, and now T2 at the PGA. And, Kate, I know I saw some people saying maybe he choked. It's two under for the rounds and, and seven under for the tournament. A two under round is definitely not choking. He had, he had the shot on, I believe it's 16 that he hit into the bunker. 
ended up, I think, double bogeying that hole. Correct me if I'm wrong there. I think it was yeah. a double bogey. But I thought he played well. Brooks just played, Brooks Kepka just played better and ended up winning it. The, the, the notion that Victor Hovland didn't rise to the occasion is, is honestly laughable because he, there were several moments where, Brooks Kepka had a three-shot lead or a four-shot lead, and you would see a swing on one hole, two holes, where it's now a one-shot thing, uh, uh, or even the lead is gone for Brooks Kepka. Hovland got unlucky. Like, let's just call it what it is. That exact same thing. Can't remember the the golfer that happened uh, that that happened to a couple of days before. The exact Connors. Same, it was Connors. Yeah, Connors. Yeah. Corey Connors. The exact same thing happened, and. I think it's probably more a result of the lie than it is the the golfer doing something incorrectly when two professionals do the exact same thing. Dude, I didn't even know that could happen. Honestly, yeah, it, I didn't know. Well, the it really doesn't. <laughs> but when when you've got that lip and the ball is below your feet like that, that's that is bound to happen. So uh, it is not at all within the realm of uh, reality to consider Victor Hovland's result as a choke. He actually, I would say, Dustin, through 15 holes, 15 and a half holes, that was the most uh, impressive final round of a major tournament that he's played yet. To say he choked is, is crazy to me. Do you think he wins one in the next three years? I I would... Uh, I would not guarantee it, but I would almost say that that is a as close to a guarantee as you can get in golf. He's been right there. The the dam is going to break at some point. It's 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 not a Sergio Garcia thing. He's 25 years old. Uh, it takes time for these guys to break through. Um, I mean, there's several examples of this over the last several years. I mean, Fitzpatrick. That's a great example of a guy who was right there, right there, right there, right there, and then finally got his moment. I think it's coming for Victor Hovland, and it could happen this year. I mean, U.S. Open sets up well for him, but he, the thing about Victor is, like, he could play well anywhere because of the way he hits the ball. It's Is he going is he going to putt well? That's why U.S. Open doesn't necessarily scream Victor Hovland to me with the greens the way they are, but a link style, you know, where the greens can sometimes be a little bit softer due to the moisture in, in, the, in Europe. I, I do think he could win one of those this year, potentially. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. He's so fun to watch. He just seems like an awesome guy. He's and a pro's pro, man. He's yeah, impressive. Everybody seems to like him. So it's yep. just, it's really cool. It's, it's awesome that he's kind of in the mix and it, he plays well. I, you know, if, if I'm wrong, statistically, I don't think I've looked up his average finish, but he seems to play well in all tournaments, not just in the majors. So no, he's, he's fun to he's, watch. He's one of the best golfers on the planet right now, and he's he's playing like it. Um, Dustin, you have any burning thoughts on Brooks Kepka winning a, a major tournament? Not just any major tournament, the PGA Championship during all of this live madness. You have any any hot takes for us? I don't have any hot takes, and I, I know a lot of people. A lot of people like Brooks. A lot of people don't like Brooks. Finding out recently that he and he was at the game last night that he's a big Florida Panthers <laughs> fan wearing Florida Panthers jerseys. I'm going to just no comment here, Cade, and throw it back to you. Hey, very, very nice of you, Switzerland. That was uh, that was good. I was pretty early to the Brooks might be a jerk train, but I think I've even come off of that. Like I've been saying that for years. I, I kind of liked seeing him win that tournament. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was. And he, he played really good golf and it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch him and Victor battle and, you know, Scheffler coming on late. 
it was a good leaderboard at the end. Well, did you did you watch Full Swing on Netflix? Have you watched that documentary? I yet? haven't watched it yet. I have not. Yeah, I think having watched that and seen, you know, the Brooks Kepka episode, the Dustin Johnson episode, the Kevin Fitzpatrick episode, like seeing those guys and the the effort they put into it puts a different spin on it when when you put all this live stuff in perspective, like Brooks Kepka really works hard to win that tournament and uh I mean good for him for doing it. So yeah, I, it, it seems like a really interesting show. I need to check yeah, you, it out. You should watch it, yep. And a couple more notes on the roundup. Uh, wrestling, Peyton Fix competed in the World Team Trials Challenge uh, on Sunday afternoon. I believe he lost in the finals to uh, Garrett. I, I didn't write down his first name, but Peyton Fix had, took the loss there. I think he t- was down big early chipped away at the lead, but ended up not being able to take it. So, I mean, great job by Dayton to kind of work his way to that point, but he didn't get the final first place seed victory there. Outdoor track, Oklahoma State Outdoor Track and Field has qualified 34 athletes to the West Preliminary Round in Sacramento, California next week. So that'll be pretty awesome to see them there. And those start on May 24th. So keep an eye out for outdoor track there. Cowgirl soccer. Added two big-time transfers in Ellie Jeffrey and Nicole Ray. Jeffrey played her freshman season at OU, and Ray spent the last three seasons at Utah Valley. And then Cowgirl Tennis added a big-time transfer from Iowa State, Angie Obi Kajuru. And I supposedly she's pretty good, and she was really good for Iowa State. So just some interesting notes there to wrap up the roundup. And, Kate, that's all I have if you want to move to questions. Yeah, I think we might as well. Awesome. So we had a couple that came in late last week since we recorded a little bit early. So I wanted to go back and hit those really quick. Uh, It's actually two from the same guy. So we'll just hit one of them. The first one he sent, it's Ryan at Ryan 30554129. He says, who are your three highest rated defensive players on our EA Sports 2023 NCAA football team and what is their overall rating and then do the same thing for offense. So Cade, I don't know, I don't know how good we'll be on the actual rating, but we can I do love the question of ranking yeah. power ranking the top 3 on offense and defense. Do you want to go first on offense and then I'll go and then we can snake draft for defense? Yeah, I think that's good. I I think you would probably see your number one rated player on the offense would probably be Brennan Presley. I think it's gotta be because he's returning the most production. Right. Like, and he's going to be the name that most people think of with, with Oklahoma state. I would, are we, are we alternating? Or you want me to give you my top three? No, give me your three and I'll give you mine. Okay. They'll probably be okay. pretty similar. Number two, I would probably say is going to be Ollie Gordon. I would think you could make a case for him at three. Um, but I think you it's it's either two or three. And then the the other one would be, in my opinion, Alan Bowman, I think. I mean, Desha- yeah. Deshaun Stribling would probably make a case because he's a transfer portal guy, a lot of production there. Um, he would probably be my honorable mention, and you could potentially swap him out for any one of those guys. So I'm going to go a little bit different than you after one, and I love I love your three, but I'll go a little bit different just to kind of mix it up. So I'll go Brandon Presley one. I'll actually go Jaden Bray two. Okay. Just because of the hype last season and then him getting injured and not really playing very much. I'm trying to think 
like how I think EA would grade them. Right, right. I think he would be a hype train grade there. And then with all the transfers, like you mentioned, Dejon Shribling, Alan Bowman, I think they give favor. They would give favor to the guys that have been on the team because that's what the national media is doing with Oklahoma State. They're downgrading them in these rankings. Be downgrading transfers. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go Jason Brooks. I I thought that might be where you would go. Yeah. So I'm going to go Jason Brooks there to throw give my offensive line guys a little bit of love. But Cade, that's awesome. I love that. Let's do the I, defense. Do you, do yeah. You want me to go first. Yeah. Let, let's do it. Yeah. I think I think you got to go Colin Oliver one because he's the guy that as a freshman was getting all the accolades. And I know he took a little bit of a step back last year. But if I'm trying to think like a like a player ranking grader for EA, <laughs> I, I think you still give him the benefit of the doubt there and just say that defense switching around and everything like that kind of led to that. Kendall Daniels too, but I honestly could see a case for him as one and then at three i don't i want to say justin kirkland because of the hype within oklahoma state's fan base on him but i think you got to go Corey black because i don't think ea would give it to justin kirkland yeah i i think i'm with you on that i i he's so much an unknown nationally i think that once that first roster update comes out he'll be in 87 88 and then 94 yeah. by the end of the year. But I think early on, he's going to be seriously undervalued. So your, your top three. What, so defense? you, I'm sorry. You said Colin Oliver, Kendall Daniels, Kendall Daniels, Corey Black. Uh, unanimous uh, one through three. We were exactly in line. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I think for conversational sake, I think the who would be your honorable mention? I would think mine. This is this is where it gets a little bit tough. Like, would it be a Xavier Benson? Would it be a Justin Wright? Yeah, maybe an Anthony Goodlow. Even Nathan Latou with him getting playing time last year and coming back, you could see that bump him up a little bit. I thought Leah Cam Rawls Smith the way Rucker. he played late. Yeah, yeah, all three of those guys: Rucker, Smith, and Rawls, all playing good late. I think there's a lot of guys who could fight for that kind of fourth spot, honorable mention, but I do agree with you. Maybe you'd throw a linebacker like Benson or the, the thing about Wright is, I, I mean, I don't know how EA would think about it. Like, or would, if they'd even have this info, but after watching practice and seeing him kind of rotating in a bunch, and I know that was in the spring, it would feel weird to give the honorable mention to a guy yeah, right. Like Vincent or Wright, who were rotating in with each other like 50 50, basically. I'm just trying to think of like, again, the way EA would do this is probably a little bit removed from reality. Like, they, right. I no, doubt right. they would you're know right. that. And I think that they would probably look at your two deep and be like, well, a lot of production at Tulsa. Let's throw an right. 85 on them. You know what I mean? Rather than. I think it would be right. I think it yeah. would be right as four. Yeah, I think so, you're right. You talked yeah. me into it. Great work. Yeah. Well, so I'll say this too, Dustin. Congratulations on this being the last summer we have to pretend to do this. Next year, yes. the game is back. Yes, I'm going to have to get a, a console, a system. I'm going to need my my children to be self-sufficient by <laughs> what I'm expecting to be mid-July next year. Uh, put a week of PTO in because that's going to be quite the week. I, act, I have a PS5. I don't get a whole lot of PS5 playing time these days. I, I would sell it 
except for the fact that that's coming right around the corner and I'm going to need it right back. Yeah. Well, you can always just borrow it if you need to, but I'm going to need it right back when I'm ready to play. So (laughs) no, that's how we get, I mean, we live close enough. We could do a borrow situation. So it's very sign out situation. The way Amazon delivers packages in your garage. And Ryan, that was a great question. His other one was on, uh, it was a Kansas state specific question. We're going to do Kansas state's preview here in like a month ish. So we will uh, get to that then Ryan, if that's not an issue there, so we can dive a little bit deeper into it. And next question. Sorry, I had to scroll back up since I was from last week. We got Tyler Jones, DO at Dr. Tyler Jones. He says, how much stock do you put into the season opening win against Oregon for softball? How have the teams changed since then? Kate, I actually had this in my notes and we didn't get to it. So I, this is a great question from Tyler. It's pretty much the same team roster-wise. There's been a couple of changes. Paige Sinicki was their leadoff. She's now hitting ninth. And De- Delgaldo in the outfield, she didn't play and she's now batting in the two-hole. And I mentioned her earlier, one of the better hitters on the team. Those are probably the two significant changes. But the one I wanted to point out is Stevie Hansen mm. was 0-2 going into that OSU game and then lost, took the loss against OSU. So 0-3, she's now 20-6. and Oh, wow. So she has just completely turned around from the, from the early season when they were, I think those first two games maybe weren't even against that type of competition either, and she struggled. So And I could be wrong on that. I don't remember exactly who they played, but... Stevie Hansen, who Oklahoma State will probably see in that first game and probably see multiple times, depending on how long this, if it goes to three games. But I think that Tyler is the biggest change that Hansen has really stepped her game up. But I think on the other end, Kelly Maxwell is looking back into form. So we'll see how that matchup goes. That's a fantastic breakdown, Dustin. I'll be completely transparent. I don't know Oregon well enough to be able to <laughs> provide any insightful commentary there. But I, I just will say, I think Oklahoma State. Uh, that's the way the regional went. It does put to rest some anxiety that I had about their ability to make a deep run here. So I, I think Oklahoma State is even a different team than they were, you know, two weeks ago as we were looking at them. Yeah, no, g- great call, Kate. Last one is from Brian Metcalf. Brian thinks, as always, he's at Brian J. Metcalf. He says, I need a 20 year old debate settled. Who had a better two season stretch from 2002 to 2003? or 2000, I guess, th- those two seasons between Rashawn Woods and Larry Fitzgerald. Kid, I saw this right before the pod. Statistically, in those two years, Rashawn Woods had the better combined stats, but I think Fitzgerald had the better single season in yeah. 2003. Larry Fitzgerald's like had one of the best seasons of all time. Yeah, so I, I think if you're looking at both seasons combined, statistically, Brian, I... I think you'd say Woods. If you're asking me as a fan, I'm probably also going to say Woods because I'm an Oklahoma State fan. But I think most people you would ask if they didn't, if they just just knowing the two players, not seeing the stats, they're going to lean Fitzgerald. I I would totally agree with that, and I would actually wonder if like Justin Blackman would be the uh, more you know discussable. Oh, yeah. Like I think Justin Blackman probably was the better college receiver than Larry Fitzgerald. I think you could at least make a case. Larry Fitzgerald was a Heisman finalist, but Justin Blackman was not. But body of work wise, if you if you plug in Justin Blackman instead of uh, Rashawn Woods to this discussion, is is Justin Blackman a two time Blitnikoff winner? Not 
in that conversation maybe better than Rashawn? I think that Justin Blackman is, you could argue him as the one, like you could put him in the top argument five, as the best time. college receiver of all time. Yeah, top five for sure. So I yes, I completely agree with you there. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, you're talking about guys like Randy Moss at Marshall, right. you know, you know, there's guys even recently who have been really good, but yeah, I mean, I think Justin Blackman would probably be the better comparison. I understand what Brian's doing there, just with those being the same two years, you know, right? 2002 right. 2003. Right. I agree with you, Cade. I'm just trying to look for any reason that Larry Fitzgerald would lose to an Oklahoma State guy, and I, I have a hard time saying Rashawn did that, mainly because Larry Fitzgerald again was like a a household name that year. I mean, even as a kid, like I knew what was going on with Larry Fitzgerald back then. So yeah, anyway, and people forget Justin Blackman was drafted sixth overall, or was it fifth? Was he fifth overall? I, think I don't remember. It, and then he had like over 700 yards receiving. And that's what people forget. Season. And then I forgot, but my point was he is a generational great. So I know we're it, not talking it, Justin Blackman, but it's an amazing, an amazing story. And he was good in the NFL. Right. He just it, he had the off the field issues. It's not like he was a. I saw actually saw maybe it was on Instagram or talking about. Oh, I think it was Instagram talking about biggest NFL bus. You know, Jamarcus Russell, Ryan Lee were thrown out there, and a couple of people were throwing out Justin Blackman. And I guess technically because of the off the field stuff, but if you're talking about on field performance. Justin Blackman, I think, I mean, he was in rookie of the year conversation. Yeah. Well, and had he not lost his mind, he was probably on his way to being a pro bowl type of receiver. 800 yeah. yards in your rookie year is like, that's pretty rare. So yeah, I totally agree with you, Dustin. Absolutely. Well, great questions, guys. Thanks so much as always. Again, sorry for the kind of short notice on the questions got a Kate and I've had some schedule changes these past <laughs> two weeks. So we've been recording a little bit differently than we have previously. And I'll take the blame. I've been forgetting to send out the question suite. So I really appreciate you guys still getting those in. I think we gave like two hours before we recorded today. So thank you guys so much as always. You shouldn't take the blame, Dustin. You're not the one who had a child and needed to switch up <laughs> scheduling on you. So uh, I appreciate you being flexible. And thank you to our incredible listeners for week after week after week, literally every week, giving us something to talk about. It's pretty awesome that uh, you guys are so engaged in that regard. And just hold on tight. I know the offseason's long, <laughs> but we're going to get there. I promise. Uh, but thank you for keeping us engaged and bring more questions like that, because that's a lot of fun in the off season. Get us walking down memory lane with, you know, Rashawn Woods and EA sports. And that's what the off season's about. I think so. All right, Dustin, appreciate it as always. Thank you guys. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at dust ragu and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.